filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster I'm going to do the obnoxious thing and talk about my uh, football manager save, uh, which I'm uh, sure everyone wants to hear. Including you're talking about your fan team. It, it, it's worse because you do this one by yourself. Um, but uh, uh, you I at least trash talk yourself. Well, or this, the is, computer? this does involve trash talking the computer. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Through through actions and words. So um, is it about me? No, the, or the fake, fake me. This is not the fake Adam Taylor game. This is a game in the Swedish. That is a much better soccer player than real Adam Taylor. Hey, hey, fighting words. But it's, it's true. true. <laughs> um, no, I I picked um, a team in Sweden called. I'm sure in Swedish it's not pronounced Goatborg, but for the purposes of this show, it's now oh, Goatborg. No. Um, but that's not why I picked them. Um, so I, I won a game for nothing over the team that was in third place at the, uh, on the weekend and then had a cup match midweek and the head coach, the team I was playing was not very good in the cup match. And the head coach of that team, uh, has inexplicably taken a hatred towards me, uh, from the moment I started the game. And so he was like, Oh, the Goatborg is dreaming if they think they're going to beat us in the, the quarterfinal coming up. Um, and our previous meeting with them was also a four nothing. Uh, it was a different four nothing. My team scores a lot of goals. Um, so we went out and scored seven goals on them in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards I said, um, that their coach isn't really cut out for management. And when you check the, the players reactions to the, what's going on in the media, uh, several of their players were saying that they were, um, discouraged because it doesn't seem like other coaches respect their current coach. <laughs> <laughs> so you literally played head games with a bunch of well, imaginary. It bits helped of code. to score seven goals. <laughs> yes. Um, I didn't clearly. tell my team. I didn't, I don't know the, uh, the way to make your team score seven every time. Uh, I haven't figured that one out yet, but uh, if I do, uh, I'll, I'll bring it back up here. Uh, much back to the chagrin back, of, forward, forward, of Ben. Up, down, up, down. <laughs> Maybe the key. The Konami code? Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Right. Is there a start and select button on your computer? Uh, I, have a, I have a controller I could plug in. I think, I think you have to, right? Yeah. Give it. Here we go. Konami code on a game not made by Konami. I'm sure there's at least one non-Konami game that, that uses oh, the I'm code. Sure just be- <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and imaginary soccer player podcast i'm adam taylor joined as always by jason football manager anderson and ben very not bromley uh we're all from black and red united.com where we write about dc united and that's what we're talking about tonight the black and red got a road win for the second straight road game uh this time against colorado we're going to break that down in the first segment in the second segment we will preview the upcoming game against nycfc i know we just played them them. we're playing them again um (laughs) and that'll be the second segment it'll mostly just be ben saying 
variations of the word hate. It's going to be great. He's actually, I have it on good authority. He's going to sing Loathing from Wicked, both parts. It's going to be awesome. Stick around for it. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking tonight in preparation of your solo? I am drinking a whiskey sour because we finally have whiskey back in stock in my house. And I don't know, I had lime juice. I had simple syrup. I was just like, yeah, let's do it. Nice. I should have considered that. I'm just drinking uh, whiskey. Neat. Um, it's a little on the mo- on the nose. Whiskey, not, not sour. Not sour, yeah. Uh, not sweet either, though. Yeah. Um, just whiskey dry. Uh, filibuster bootlegger whiskey. Um, it's a little on the nose, like I said. Um, but it's it's good little whiskey. Not the best, not the worst. Just right there. Easy drinking. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I stopped on my way home uh, from dinner and got myself some uh, whiskey. Brewer- no, uh, I got beer. I got a Brewer's Art Pale Ale, uh, which I haven't had, or not Pale Ale, Birdhouse Pale Ale by Brewer's Art. I left out an important part of that uh, title. Um, yeah, I haven't had it in forever, uh, but it's a extremely good, extremely solid Pale Ale, not too hoppy. Um, yeah, it's it's the right time of year for that. I almost went with gin, but I had the beer, so I did that instead. Fair. Uh, it's more fun to talk about soccer. After a win last week, we could have kept going with the intro forever and ever. But uh, this week, we don't have to do that. As I said at the top, uh, the black and red went into the thin air of Colorado on short rest with some you know, pretty key injuries, not the, the worst case scenario, but but certainly dealing with injuries and came out of it. 3-2 winners over the Rapids. Goals from Lucho Acosta, Chris Durkin, and Lucas T.T. Rodriguez, who also made Team of the Week off of his efforts. He had an assist on Durkin's goal as well. All of the goals in an eight-minute span late in the first half. Um, not always the f- most fun game to watch, especially late on, and we'll we'll get into that later in the segment. I want to start though with the formation because it was not what we've become accustomed to with Ben Olson, and that is to say, it was not a traditional four man backline, which even Dave Casper said is going to be the basis of United's system of play uh, all the way down through the academy. Is is four at the back? Um, I think he's, he told that to, to Greg Roach on Pitch Pass. Um, ben switched it up on us this week. Went three in the back, um, starting Donovan Pines for his MLS debut, uh, Jalen Robinson for his first start of the year, alongside Steve Birnbaum. And, uh, Steven. Steve, thank you, Steven Birnbaum. Um, and uh, I, I'm curious your guys' impressions on, on how the three back worked. I mean, I think it was a definitely a backline born out of an injury catastrophe it's, I don't when everybody is available I don't think that's a formation that works but as an emergency wrinkle as an emergency uh, deployment I think it worked pretty fine I, I liked it a little better than other possibilities I like getting Jalen Robinson out there I liked getting Donovan Pines out there and for the most part they did okay uh, obviously there were some some breakdowns but I thought it took the most advantage they could have out of who was available uh, for this game. Right. And I I tweeted, you know, tongue in cheek during the game. Uh, I was running the black and red United Twitter account for, for the game. And 
I, I tweeted it out. You know, you don't have to worry about fullback depth if you play a system with no fullbacks with the the smart guy gif and uh that that's basically what ben olsen did he, he didn't have any fullbacks really to throw out there um akeem ward maybe but um instead he threw a three back and then had paul areola play on one side and ulysses segura on the other as wing backs where they had a responsibility at least in the first half to get forward into the attack um and, and play that role not just as fullbacks um well, and it 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 made some sense given given the fullback situation. Go ahead, Jason. And also given um, playing Colorado, um, the Rapids, as as I wrote, I think in both pre- the preview and the um, uh, look at their lineup, um, they play extremely narrow. Uh, and if you're going to play a team that is either going to play a super narrow four two three one, or they're going to play a four four two diamond. Um, one thing where they get kind of gives you the option to switch into a formation where you also have fewer players on the wing because you have a reason to want to crowd the middle and, and compete numbers wise in that way. And you also have one less thing to worry about because they don't really have a presence on the wings uh, all that much. So um, I think that factor kind of dovetailed with the lack of available fullbacks Um and United, it was also, uh, it, they rolled the dice. Um, I think uh, from from what Ben Olsen said at training today, we're recording on Wednesday. Um, what he said at training today was that they had basically one training session to work on this formation. Um, and I think that showed. Um, I'm maybe a little less, um, I, I wouldn't, I, I would say less positive um, than than Ben on this one. Um, not outright negative, just less positive. I think this this is a formation that our commenters have actually brought up frequently. Not you know not too many, but every once in a while, I get a like you know DC should play some variation of either this you know I, I would say this was three four two one. Um, there's been I a lot. Just of, say, I just say three six one, but yeah, yeah. But, but there have been a lot of very similar suggestions to that. Um, and I've always maintained that DC doesn't really have the personnel to play it. Um, and they didn't have the personnel to play it. I mean, uh, Segura, I, I don't want to be too harsh on him because he's not a wingback and he had to be a wingback. Um, but it showed that he's not a wingback. Um, if the last two games, he started up top wing- and at wingback. Yes. Um, and, and he's doing, you know, he's, he's, you know, taking one for the team in both of those instances. Um, it's a, it's not the best situation for him, but um, there weren't, I mean, the, the options were just too, too thin. Otherwise, um, if you bring up the chalkboard from this game against Colorado and you just, um, if you bring up the Rapids and you just highlight their key passes and assists, you're going to see a whole bunch of yellow squares sig- signaling where their key passes came from. And they're all on Segura's side of the field or from in the middle and deep. Um, which was another problem spot. I thought it, it's just, it's tough to get that balance right for um, the midfield as well. So there were definitely problems with it. I do understand the thought process behind it. And I think maybe with time um, it could become a nice option to have in the back pocket. Um, but yeah, it, I don't, I, I also, I don't want to be too harsh on the whole team because as we said, it's short rest. It's at Colorado. 
Um, you're missing almost every one training session. Yeah. Um, there's so many things that, that could have derailed this. Um, and they managed to go there and get a win anyway. So, you know, I definitely don't want to come across, like I have concerns. I have problems from this game, but you know, let's not forget that they overcame a whole lot to manage to get back on, back into winning ways. And almost any DC United team of the past decade would have lost this game. Oh yeah. Uh, no doubt. Uh, this one, this one looked pretty, especially when the Rapids got their, their midweek game got canceled. Um, this one became kind of a trap game, kind of a worry because DC wasn't in the best place mentally. And then you go to the elevation, then you You give up an early goal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you give up an early goal. You're, you're down to literally the final 18 uh, or 18 of the final 19 players available. The only player that got left out that was fit enough to play soccer uh, was Earl Edwards Jr. Who was playing soccer for Loudon. Um, Everyone else was there. So, you know, there are a lot of ways that this could have gone wrong and it didn't. Um, So, you know, it it probably means a lot in the locker room that they managed to gut this out. But I think they'd all be the first to tell you that they know it wasn't their best performance. I want to talk about some of those new guys um, making their their debuts and their, I think, coincidentally, three homegrown players. Donovan Pines and Jalen Robinson, I'd mentioned before. Let's let's actually start this part of the conversation with Chris Durkin, who uh, went out there, got a goal. Um, recently reported by by Pablo Maurer that uh, DC United had turned down at least one offer for him to go on loan in the Bundesliga in Germany. Bad offer. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever the the case. I mean, it's still yeah. uh, an opportunity that that is not going to to come through whether it was a good offer or bad and I agree with you Ben it was it was not an offer that actually made sense for DC United to accept um but all that being said Durkin went out there and and performed pretty well um as Jason said most of the key passes most of the chances created by Colorado came from out wide or or deep not necessarily zone 14 which is one of yeah. his responsibilities um and then he went out and got a goal with a, a really great run that anticipated a pass before it was even made and then um stayed on side checked his run to stay on side and still managed to get there and finished like uh, a gosh darn striker out there um i thought durkin durkin had a great game i thought yeah uh one thing durkin we you know we got a chance to talk to him after training and one thing he mentioned about the goal specifically um and and this was something that i think we noticed um you know, watching the game is that um, this is a sequence where Lucho drops off to sort of um, get on the ball a little earlier in the sequence. And Durkin said that when they worked in the training session on this formation, one of the things they really emphasized, um, the coaching staff emphasized to uh, to uh, Durkin and Moreno was that if the midfielder, the attacking midfielder in front of you drops in for a second, you need to cycle forward and still keep the structure in place. Um, and so Durkin saw Lucha coming back, read that and made, made that first movement forward. And he said, he's already, he's already on the run when Acosta picks out Rodriguez. And he said, as soon as he saw that Rodriguez was going to receive that pass and have um, had already, like he saw that Rodriguez had already seen him and he knew that all he had to do was keep running at that point. He's like, you know, I got to let those guys 
dictate that kind of thing to me. So I'm just going to keep running. And I know that the ball is going to be where I need it. Um, and he said from there, he got into the box and realized, you know, it's a position where you got to shoot. So he just had to go basically. He's like, yeah, I just, I just hit it as hard as I could. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that goes into um, a goal like that. Those, a, a goal like that doesn't come from three players purely improvising. Um, there are things that they're being coached about. And even in one training session, they managed to uh, cover that ground and it actually paid off in a goal, which is, is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, it, you know, Durkin, I think, I think this game meant a lot to him uh, mentally, um, just, you know, getting, getting on the field, getting some real action. Um, it, it had been a while. Uh, and, and I think, um, I think he, he is a confident guy. He, I think he knows that the team has a lot of confidence in him. And the reason he's out is not because Ben Olsen hates young players or some of that, um, mythological nonsense from the internet. It's that Russell Canales and junior Moreno have been mostly very, very good. Uh, for a while now, but you know, this is where Durkin, he was patient and it paid off. He, he came through with a really good game. I, I don't, I can't think of too many moments where I was like, Oh, Durkin really made a mistake there. It wasn't perfect, but it was, it was pretty good, especially for someone that just hadn't, hadn't had much time. Yeah, I agree. There were a couple of tackles that I, I think he missed out on. Um, but at that point, I'm I'm quibbling a little bit. Unfortunately, Jalen Robinson didn't have quite as strong of a game. He came out as a sub, which you don't usually like to see your center backs um, being subbed out. Go ahead. I, I think though there was something in training that kind of um, kind of confirmed what you might have suspected with this, which was that it wasn't so much that they thought he was playing badly, but that they were sort of conceding to the fact that um, the Rapids had switched to basically four two four. Um, by then, and it was just their wingers getting the ball and pumping in crosses, and um, mm-hmm. it was sort of a concession to the fact that he's still five foot nine. Um, and they felt like we've got to get more size on the field because of it's just a barrage at this point. Um, yeah. so it it wasn't necessarily anything about um Robinson getting the hook for being you know ha- being the the weak link or anything. It was just they wanted to get one more tall player on the field. And, you know, Briant, to his credit, I think was, you know, unspectacular. But, you know, at that point in the game, there's not really much spectacular you can do. It's just um, get in there. You're going to be very busy. Um, But I I think uh, I'm trying to find his. uh, Yeah, Briant ended up with uh, six clearances in his like 15 minutes of play. Um, So he's real busy. That, that's a lot for a whole game, much less uh, for that amount of time. They yeah. were under siege, and it was a an, it was a an un, we were under siege substitution. Um, yeah, but at the same time, you know, there were some moments where Robinson was he looked a little rusty, um, and maybe it, maybe it kind of showed a little bit that um, this formation is definitely not uh, <laughs> has not had a lot of work. I think he makes sense in a back three yeah. more than in a back four. And more um, than Briant does. Briant doesn't make sense yes. in a back three. Um, yeah, unless in, you're in any of the three spots. The box. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think on paper, if you if you said DC has to play with a back three or a back five, that right center back spot, it makes a lot of sense to play Robinson there. Um, it's just that he did kind of betray a little bit of that lack of playing time, um, maybe more so than Durkin did. 
the other uh, new face I wanted to call out, and I mentioned his name earlier, Donovan Pines, uh, not only started this, but started in the center of the back three, which probably makes some sense. Um, like some of the other guys, I, I didn't notice any major mistakes that he made. Um, he didn't make the spectacular save off the line that Steven Birnbaum did uh, in this one, but he also didn't leave Kai Kamara unmarked by chasing guys who were already marked like Steven Birnbaum did on Kai Kamara's goal. So, um, you know, I, I ended up talking more about Birnbaum there than I meant to, but Hey, Donovan Pines got on the field, started, went 90 minutes, um, was very tall, was extremely tall. And as far as I know, remains extremely tall. I feel like he was was tall as of like 12 hours ago. Uh, he was still very tall. Okay. And that's good. He jumped over Steven Birnbaum at one point. Like, not only is he tall, but he can just leap into the air, into space, I guess. That reminds me, he also got an assist. First start, first appearance, first assist. Pretty good night. Can leap into space. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you know someone's tall when the first thing Birnbaum has to say about him um, is that he's much taller than, Birnbaum said he's much taller than me, um, and Birnbaum is already tall. Um, Yes. So that's, uh, yeah, it, it really, it's striking, um, even amongst the other tallest players on the team to see him, you know, he's just several inches taller than everyone else. And, uh, um, I, I, what I think I, I was most pleased about pines. I mean, it was a difficult game to step into, especially being in that second half, being under siege so much. Um, fortunately he's gotten some training for that with Loudon, um, because the way some of their games have gone, including, um, when they played the Rowdies a couple weeks ago, he was playing in the middle of a back five, uh, and they were under, like, if you ta- imagine the worst 20 minutes of the Rapids attacking DC's box, now imagine that for 90 minutes, and that's what their trip to the Tampa was like. Um, but he's really, like, his emergency defending is maybe his best trait as a defender. Um, and so he his skill set is actually pretty well cut out for being under siege when your, your team can't quite keep possession because they're tired or, or whatever it is. Um, but you know, on the other side, he also, he didn't, he barely gave the ball away. I think, um, Ryan, uh, Ryan Kiefer tweeted out a graphic that showed it. He had like what, two missed passes in the entire game. Yeah. It wasn't Um, very many. Yeah. Um, and you know, we asked Olsen today, you know, about that decision to play him in the middle rather than to one side. And he said that um, he's clean, clean enough with the ball that we trusted him in that role, knowing that he was going to receive the ball and have to make a lot more passes than he might playing right or left of center. Um, So they, they were, they were willing to trust him with that. Um, And, you know, the other stuff with his, his speed and his ability to, um, just get that last touch in, um, and, and get in the way, make those little interceptions. Um, I mean that him being six, five is one thing. And, and we think of it as like an aerial thing, but it also means, um, he's got like the go, go gadget legs and you think you're going to get a pass in there. And then he reaches out and he gets a toe to it. Um, and it's, it's gotta be frustrating to play against. Cause it's like, well, how do you get past this guy? Like physically, he just gets in the way every single time. Um, he's fast yeah. enough to stay in front of you and, long yeah, enough to yeah because he's fast he will be faster than you just about just about almost anyone and it, that's also 
you know, he's that big of a center back and yet he's also fast. Um, but this is why the talk around Donovan Pines is not, well, one day he'll be a starter. It's one day, like I've seen people that like Travis Clark has mentioned that there's national team uh, possibilities in his ceiling when we talk about where he's going, going as a player. Um, and it's not for no reason. It, these are these are founded uh, discussions. These are not uh, baseless, uh, crazy talk. This is a player with a real, real future. And hopefully we get to keep seeing it. Um, I, I, I imagine his immediate future is still more Loudon than DC United, but um, obviously he's, he's going places. Um, what, what did you guys think about the attacking trio in this one? Both Lucho and Titi were playing kind of inside uh, underneath Wayne Rooney, neither of them like directly center, but um, it, it was kind of a box midfield with the wingbacks going up and down, mostly down uh, on the outside, but uh, it put one extra body centrally underneath Wayne Rooney. So when they got into the attack, we saw some good fluidity. Um, that said, they didn't get into the attack all that much outside of this eight minute span. And and Ben, I know you have thoughts on, on the eight minutes. Yeah. Uh, I think that, they were able to be extremely clinical when they wanted to be. They had eight minutes of glory where they were able to score three goals, and the rest of it was dealing with the short rest, dealing with the uh, high altitude, and just figuring the rest of it out. But the ruthlessness of being able to score three goals in eight minutes in three different ways was just a a... a perfect example of how this team is different than versions of this team in the past. Uh, we've said a number of times that on the, the defensive side, this team would have crumbled, but this team on the offensive side wouldn't have been this good uh, in this game. They would not have scored all three of these goals. And it's just, it's good to see that they can do it. And this is the step they need to take to, step up into the top level of MLS. They need to be able to win games against bad teams when they're also not on their top four. And so it didn't look great, but I think it was a better result than some people turn it out to be. Yeah. uh, Durkin alluded to this, um, what Ben's talking about. Um, He said that everyone on the team knows that they're good enough where if the opponent drops their head a little bit or tries to take 10, 15 minutes off in a game that they can hit you up for more than one goal. And they're all smart enough to know that if you can pounce on someone and just punch in several goals during their, you know, down spell, you can win games on that. Um, It's not just 15 minutes where you played really well. It's this is enough to get a win. And that's exactly what happened here. Um, the Rapids, I think their reaction when Lucho scored his goal was collectively they their confidence co- fell through the through the floor, um, and they were just super discouraged. And it, I think it really showed in the next few minutes. And they just they didn't have a collective reaction to conceding, and DC just jumped all over them. They you know there's that old cliche of smelling blood in the water, and um, DC saw a wounded. Rapids team that wasn't prepared that was kind of like well hopefully halftime comes soon that we can you know snap ourselves out of it and DC was like hold on there's 10 more minutes here 
uh, let's keep playing. And all of a sudden it goes to three, one, just like that. So um, that's, that's what can happen with this, this group that, um, that sense of knowing when your opponent is, is taking, taking some time off for whatever reason within the game. Um, and that's good. It means that if a team comes in, uh, not ready to play a full 90, then they're going to have real problems against DC. And that's, that's a big plus. Um, I did like, um, the concept of getting Lucho Rodriguez and Rooney even closer together than normal. Um, I think that might be the best aspect of playing this formation, um, going forward. I think, I think there are some subtract, some things that subtract from the attack, which is mostly, um, if you play those three up front, you, you're even if anything more adding more emphasis to the lack of speed uh, in the attack, because, because now Ariel is further from goal, um, mm-hmm. which isn't the best thing in the world. And I think, um, you know, I, I mentioned that, um, or I think I mentioned this before we started recording that Segura was kind of taking one for the team and Ariel was also kind of taking one for the team, you know, that wingback role, he's good at it, but it doesn't mean that he's going to be very busy in the attack. And in this game, mostly he was subdued. It was, you know, if you look at what he actually did on the ball, it's a lot of receive it and then move it along to somebody else rather than him running at someone or um, threatening Combining inside to the get box. Behind or, yeah. yeah. Um, so offensively it makes, you know, because he's got to be further from goal, he's got to be more attuned to defending. So um, it does take away in that respect. So there are teams where this wouldn't work against. Um, fortunately, the Rapids, it, it doesn't seem like no matter, it seems like no matter what they trot out, um, their team, their team defensive philosophy, the, the things that underpin it, they just, they don't seem well drilled. Um, I don't think that the group they put out there is a particularly bad group of defenders. I think it's much more that they just don't seem to know how to defend as a unit. And DC, Really, I think uh, I think Rooney on the broadcast maybe or or after the game or no Olson on the broadcast um, mentioned that if they anytime they connected two three or four passes it seemed like they were in behind um, and that's partially because when the players connecting those passes are Wayne Rooney Luciano Acosta and Lucas Rodriguez you're in trouble but also like the Rapids just didn't seem to understand what was going on around them. They're like, uh, what are you doing attacking us? How, how dare you? Um, which, you know, if you say, how dare you, it just doesn't stop teams from continuing to try and score goals on you. Uh, it's like yelling at your, your one-year-old to stop doing what he's doing. He just laughs at you and keeps going. He thinks it's hilarious. And DC United were a very potent one-year-old during that, that stretch. Not that I'm speaking from any personal experience. With- I don't know about that. I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about TT um, specifically. Um, he he was closer to Lucho and Rooney, as as Jason said. And if I, I think he's probably most emblematic of of at least this week of the team's ability to uh, jump on mistakes and on um, any kind of hesitation. Uh, by the other team, he assisted on Durkin's goal, and in his goal, he he took on three guys and uh, capitalized on a, a you know a mishit by Kofi Opari to do it and and put the ball past Tim Howard. So he he was definitely kind of taking it on himself, and and I'm, I I don't think we're going to see this kind of triangle um, 
kind of alone up top. I think we're we are going to stick with the four two three one mostly going forward. Um, but but it was interesting to see him especially take advantage of this. And uh, if Lucho needs a rest one some night or or is otherwise forced to miss a game, I or or like I the, am a little the impending reality of uh, him possibly being sold. Yeah. Um, also that. Yeah, Don't I mean, fall under having to miss a game for some reason, right? <laughs> it's it's really nice to have a proof of concept on yeah, Lucas absolutely. Rodriguez playing underneath Wayne Rooney and having success. Yeah, that's exactly that you right. Could make, just sign Yamil Assad back and put TT in the middle, and then be off for the races. That's that's a pretty good team at that point. Um, yeah, I'd prefer Lucho stay here, but sure. if he oh, does, yeah. um, I'm, I'm 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 pretty comfortable with exactly what you guys have yeah. laid out. Um, one other thing just to, to mention DC United has been sending in a lot more crosses this year. I think they're top four in the league in crosses per game right now, which is weird and bad and they shouldn't be sending in so many crosses. They're a little bit less patient than they were last year. And it's frustrating me. And, um, we, we saw it some in this game too. Well, I have good news for you, Adam. They only sent in nine crosses in this game. The bad news is that in the second half, they had none, and it was Colorado pumping in 48 crosses by oh full time um, because that was really – that was what the Rapids uh, decided was the way to I, – I don't know that – like, it, it was effective. It definitely tilted the field, but I also, I mean, like, when you see, why hit crosses against a team playing uh, three center backs? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Rapids. that's why – That's their problem. I wonder if Ben Olsen didn't see that coming and say, you know – we're going to invite them to send the crosses in knowing that we will eat them up all day. Um, knowing that Burnbaum and pines are in there. And I, I wonder too, like did Anthony Hudson specifically send in, um, is that he had, you know, the players he had playing on the wings when it really got into that pump crosses in thing for most of that time, it was Diego Rubio and Nicholas Mosquito who aren't really Rubio's They're a crossers. Mosquito's yeah. a, um, sort of a 10 that doesn't really create or score goals very often. Um, they're not get down the wing and hit it into the box guys. Um, I don't know if it was like they didn't know what else to do. So they just hit crosses or whether they were told specifically get down the wing, hit crosses. I don't know. Um, but it was curious to me to see them attempt that many um, without almost without ever trying to like, like if you look at their dribble uh, locations, um, there is, there are like two attempts to dribble inside in, into the box um, from those positions. And they're both from Cole Bassett and it took almost an hour for him to try even once. Um, so I don't, I don't really get it as far as a, as a strategy on their part. Um, yeah. But anyway, I know I'm, I'm taking us away from your point about crossing too often. I'm yeah, just saying I mean, nine that, crosses in the first half for DC United yes. is a lot. Yes. Um, Wayne Rooney is not a guy who, I mean, if it, and again, there are different kinds of crosses. If you are getting to the end line and cutting it back against a retreating defense, if you're sending in an early cross, but a lot of these were DC United had the ball out wide, ran out of ideas, couldn't connect a pass or, or get an overload going. And, and so just crossed it in because, you know, something good might happen and why not try it? But it's definitely, um, and, and that's a lot of what Colorado was doing. It was, we've run out of ideas just put it in the mixer and see what happens. Um, I think one of United's crosses was 
hey, corner kicks that are sent to the back post, those are scored as crosses by Opto, right? Uh, I don't, I don't, I think they, they count them as set play crosses, which I don't think go okay. into the count of not open play co- crosses. Okay. Right. gotcha. But I mean, th- those make a lot of sense because it's Wayne Rooney hitting them and you have steam firm bomb on the back post to send it back across and United got a goal from that. So that kind of cross is to my mind different well, than this, um, what, what I'm talking about. I'm messing with the Opta thing right now, and it just gave me an answer that complicates things because <laughs> if you if you deselect set play crosses entirely, you get eight crosses. But if you add set play set play crosses, you get ten. So you don't get to nine either way. Um, Maybe so, set piece crosses count as half a cross. I don't know, um, but either way, um, come on, Opta. Those Wayne Rooney crosses, though, were two of the four successful cross attempts from DC in the entire game, whether it's eight or ten. Um, <laughs> so at least there's that. Yeah, um, I want to see, and and I think we mentioned this during the uh, the LA or when we were talking about the LA game too. Is United have been much more willing to settle for crosses so far this year, and um, I want to see that change. Uh, we mentioned that that DC United was fatigued and at altitude and on short rest um, when they were just hanging on for dear life in the second half. But I think it's worth noting that this was the second straight road game where DC United had a lead to defend and and defend is what they did. Um, they weren't really able to get out and kill the game off. They they just had to again hold on for dear life. Um, and I know they're exacerbating. Uh, circumstances and uh but it, it's worth noting that this is the second straight time it's happened and both times dc united has held on for a win but it was against orlando and colorado so right, i i do want to it, 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 it is worth it, noting it is no, it's not yes, worth it, worrying about it but uh, it's worth noting okay uh it's worth noting and it's also worth noting that before they lost those games so it is progress that they are making yeah, you, you definitely want to be the team that hangs on for your life, but wins. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, I, I will say, I think those two games played out very differently. Um, the Orlando game was not good. The game in Colorado, I think it's mostly fatigue that ends with them not being able to do much else other than defend inside the 18. Um, I think it's much more to do with with that than anything else. I think fatigue kind of overwhelmed a lot of a lot of the other stuff um, as far as tactics, as far as individual players making decisions. Um, I think they were just, a lot of them were just too tired to make better decisions. Um, I can tell you that United, uh, I, I believe they took both Monday and Tuesday off to allow the players to sort of mentally regroup and physically recover. Um, and, uh, you know, at training today, they definitely, everyone definitely seemed, you know, high energy. Everyone's in a good mood. Um, it helps to show up at training, you know, for me to, you know, take the day and and go to training. Um, it helps that it was a beautiful day and it's coming off of a win. So everyone's in a nice mood. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the fatigue side of it was really almost an overwhelming factor for, for DC in this one. Whereas the Orlando game, um, I think that they lost their way in that game and it wasn't about fatigue. It was about bad decisions and things like that. So Good news. Um, they don't have too many situations where uh, they have to go play uh, at a place like Colorado on the back of um, 
playing a midweek game uh, like this, but they do unfortunately still have several midweek games because we're in the middle of that uh, sort of a meat grinder portion of the schedule. AKA May. Yeah. But, you know, they got Colorado off the board. That's always a tough game because of the elevation, if not because of the opponent. Um, But we're right back in it. I mean, after this weekend's game, it's at Columbus, at Minnesota, um, all within a one-week span. So there's no rest for the the weary, I guess. With that said, we're going to take a quick break. (laughs) We'll be right back to talk NYCFC. Uh, Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... You in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. After DC United's game this Sunday against New York City Football Club, uh, Los Capitalinos will have played a full 25% of their games this year against NYCFC, but they will be done playing the Pigeons for the rest of 2019, barring a meeting in the playoffs to help us catch up with uh, NYC after you know the the five minutes since the last time we played them, we have our old buddy Raf Naboa E Rivera back on the show. Welcome back, man! Thanks for having me. Always love being on the show. We always love having you. What are you drinking? I am drinking New York's finest seltzer. Um, I'm a house classic seltzer. It's mango. For those of you who are curious, so sometimes like a I, I should give a side. A sidebar because I'm doing a lot of traveling for work, um, and apparently seltzer is like peculiarly a New York, so like New York City area kind of thing. Um, if you ask people for like club soda, seltzer, they, they sort of look too weird. Um, so that's my go-to. Is that different than like sparkle water, like Lacroix, or kind other stuff that is, that is I mean, sweeping the nation? Same. To me, it's all the okay. same. I mean, I'm sure that there are people who who claim to sort of discern the taste difference between say like Broy and Howes and, you know, and everything else. But to me, it's essentially all the same. Okay. Yeah. I, I, we always have club soda in the house and 
I, I will sometimes order club soda with lime if I'm not drinking alcohol uh, yeah. and I'm out somewhere. But but just to be clear, tonic water is something different. Tonic water has other stuff in it. Yeah, we all, so we all know anybody, that, Adam. Adam, Any listeners we, who didn't Adam, know that. Adam, we all know that. They'd be surprised. You, I, I, had, sir, I had a server who did not know the difference. Really? Thank you, Ralph. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ralph, Ralph, I was just trying to make fun of Adam. So I, no, no, no. And no, instead, just, instead, he comes to my defense and dunks on you. I, I'm no, just I, imagining this, this poor server. Yeah. So in his defense, in his defense, mm-hmm. this was It was Iowa. John Mulaney. <laughs> no, this was in Iowa. This was in Eastern Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, I was So on the professional side, I do event production for political campaigns, um, specifically on the Democratic Party side. Um, and so my calendar is pretty heavy because, you know, we've got something like 30-odd candidates. We don't really, but it feels like it. Um, feels like there's a new candidate every, like, three or four days. They're like gremlins popping out of nowhere. There was, um, there was a candidate tonight who declined to run. Yeah, Terry McCollins. Um, yeah, that would have good. been a fun campaign. Because, like, Terry... Terry is just legendary for for that being a party all the time. You know, he's hilarious. But as a Virginian, I did not want him to run. Oh, totally. That's entirely (laughs) understandable. Um, So you know, there there are a lot of people who've worked with Terry. I've worked with him in the past. There are a lot of people that I know who've worked with Terry who are very sad that he's not running, Um, just because he really likes campaigning. But anyway, uh, back on the subject. You know, we're at an Applebee's and I'm hanging out with my team and, you know, everybody's drinking. I don't drink. Um, and so I asked for a club soda. Um, and, and the guy said, we got like tonic water. That's, that's kind of the same, right? And I was like, <laughs> no, no, it really kind of is. all the same. But that's okay. Thank you for playing. I appreciate I appreciate the <laughs> At least he tried. Clear. Yeah. It's got bubbles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Quinine tastes very different than not quinine. Yes. <laughs> very right. extremely different. Yeah, but bless his heart, he was trying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he asked first. He didn't just bring you tonic water, which is... No, that would have been very, very weird. That would have been bad. Um, you know what else is bad? Speaking of New York bad... City FC. <laughs> Woo, Stepped boy, on my howdy. damn transition. <laughs> so... Uh, Dome Torrent still employed. And, and he's probably going to be employed for for a bit longer because I don't know if you guys saw uh, the game against caught highlights of the game um, against Minnesota United where they opened up yet another stadium for yet another team um, as they sort of like futilely search for a stadium of their own. Um that was an incredibly open game, and it's the kind of game. You know, Brian Morwood was in town, was in Minnesota, along with Claudia Reyna, uh, sort of watching the proceedings from on high. And what I said offline um, after the game was that this is really the game against Minnesota United, where it ended up being a three-all draw, um, and. It was a very frustrating game because it's the kind of game where New York City FC did just enough to sort of lull you into thinking that maybe they were sort of turning the corner. If you're like really sort of predisposed to think that and to want that to be the case, um, 
And so it was a really good illustration of what the sunk cost fallacy is, which is mm. that you know you've made a decision, and so you're looking for everything and anything, any kind of scrap of evidence to allow you to stick with the decision that you've made, when in fact the actual better decision would be to sort of cut ties um, and, and sort of go in a different direction. So the big question coming into this year, and I think it might still be unanswered or uh, is who's going to replace David via um, mm-hmm. the law firm of Ishmael to jury Shradi made, made its case, uh, I mm-hmm. guess this weekend. Um, tell us about his game and, and who else might be able to score goals for you. So, so you've actually got a number of people who can actually who can theoretically score goals for New York city FC. Um, you've got Ismail Tajuri Shrani, aforementioned, obviously. Uh, you've also got two guys that they just signed. Uh, the first one being Alexandru Mitritsa, um, who's you know, the sort of like Romanian winger, um, played in Italy for a couple of seasons for Pescara um, when they were in Serie A, and then when they got promoted to Serie A, then he sort of bailed on Pescara and went back and played in um, in Romania and sort of tore it up in Romania. Um, you know, you know, people raving about him. And I actually spoke to, uh, to a guy who really spends a lot of time observing uh, the Romanian league. So a little bit of a sidebar, what generally happens when New York city FC or when any other team really signs a player that nobody's heard of, or that nobody's really aware of, particularly in the league that uh, nobody really watches is I really try to look and find who watches that league, who pays a lot of attention to that league. I don't, I don't go by YouTube highlights or anything like that um, because those flatter to deceive. So what I did was I basically asked around, you know, and said, you know, who observes the Romanian league? And Emmanuel Bosu is one of those guys who really spends a lot of time observing the league. And um, he said that the comparison that he would make on the best case level would be to Sebastian Jovinko, which is a hell of a comparison given what Jovinko did for Toronto. Um, So, you know, so that's the optimistic side. Um, You know, the pessimistic side is that, you know, obviously the leap from Romania to MLS, you know, sort of a big leap. And so how do you adapt to that and that sort of stuff? Um, So he's definitely a guy who can, who can score. Um, And New York city obviously made him, a very well remunerated player. He basically was the David Villa replacement. He was the third DP. So New York City has three DPs right now. They have Jesus Medina. Um, everybody's just very dissatisfied with Medina. I, and there's some fairness to that, and I'll get into that into a second. Um, the second DP is obviously Maxi Morales, the number ten, um, and then obviously the third DP is Mitritza. Um, so then you sort of had the situation where they don't really have a number nine. And so that's where this other player that New York city signed named a bear comes in. And so a bear is this guy who was playing for, who was playing in the Croatian league. He's a Brazilian player. And you had all kinds of people just sort of like coming out of the woodwork and just raving about him. Like this guy just bangs him in. He can just score. He's just crazy. This guy's doing amazing things in Croatia. Uh, the key word, I think there is Croatia. Um, the Croatian league is not a particularly good league. 
Um, again, it's a big leap to go from you know scoring in Croatia to scoring in MLS, and we really haven't sort of gotten a good sense for how good Adair is, just because he really hasn't played that much. Um, he's still sort of working himself up to a game fitness. So the good part is it's early in the season, and so there's still a lot of time for players like Adair, for players like Mitritsa to sort of work themselves into game fitness, get themselves a rhythm, uh, and that sort of thing, and therefore come up with sort of a scoring rhythm. Um, and a playmaking rhythm. Uh, you know, the sort of flip side to that, the negative side would be there's not really any sense that, and I'll go right out and say it, there's not really any sense that Torrent knows what he's doing or that, mm-hmm. or that he's got like a system where you can sort of like plug and play these guys um, and they'll be, you know, once they pick up the system, then they can play. So, Raph, it feels like Sean Johnson has had a typical Sean Johnson season so far in the sense that he's made some really great saves, and he's Mm -hmm. also let in some – he's also made some mistakes. And uh, my question is, what are are NYCFC's fans' take on Sean Johnson right now? Are they looking for a replacement, and is that high on the list of priorities? for the summer or are the priorities so high in other positions that they're just like uh, goalie's fine we'll just keep it Sean Johnson for the rest of the year we'll just keep it Sean Johnson for the rest of the year Um, even after that howler that he had um, against Minnesota United uh, it was a thing of beauty it it really was (laughs) you you really just sort of had to feel for for Sean John there Um, just because I, uh, I, I don't. Ima- sure, but I can imagine that's sort of like like if you play goal, that's sort of like the nightmare scenario there that that like wakes you up at night in a sweat, um, and that like literally happened to him. And so, the by far, there was a, just a lot of empathy, a lot of sympathy for Sean Johnson amongst the fan base at large. I think where you have the frustration. For, for the fan base is a the fact that this team is way too talented to have only won something like four times in twenty two or twenty three games. First of all, um, second of all, the fact that they're really now—if you go back all the way to like last season, the playoffs—they're um, really on a seven game winless streak, um, which equals um, their worst streaks all time. You know, both from the 2015 season and the 2016 season. Um, and, and this team is by far more talented than those two teams were. Um, and so, really, the frustration is centered more around, you know, Domain Toronto and you know, what the heck he's doing or isn't doing, the fact that this team can't score, um, the fact, you know, at least up until the Minnesota United game, um, the fact that, you know, certain players are starting, other players are not starting. Um, and so on and so forth. That's where the frustration lies. So yeah, we're we're seeing rumors that uh, NYCFC's uh, friends in New York, uh, the Red Bulls, may be hiring a, a new coach this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Dome Trant makes the rest of the season for NYCFC? Do you think they find a new coach? Do you think they 
import somebody from uh, City Football Group writ large, or just turn I, I, somehow just make the rest of the season? I, I think it's 50-50, honestly. I think it's 50-50. And the reason why is because there's not really, say, an obvious successor. So let me back up. So the, a, a few weeks ago, um, I can't remember if it was Matt Doyle or if, or if it was somebody else, um, sort of made this note that, you know, Patrick Vieira is coaching at OG Cease, um in Ligue 1. And there's apparently a clause in Vieira's contract that says that if the general manager, if the director of football operations, let's say, and the team chairman get replaced at Nice, then Vieira can just walk away. Just walk away, no penalty, you know, just be like, you know what? It's been real. Peace. Um, and so a lot, there are a fair number of fans who, who like, saw that and were like, well, okay, um, is there any chance that Patrick Vieira comes back? I think that would be like the only real sort of like successor in waiting. The thing is, does Patrick Vieira really want to go back to Nice? I mean, to MLS. Um, because he's actually done a pretty decent job at Nice. And so the theory is, why would he go back, theoretically, take a step back and go to MLS when he could very easily springboard from the Nice gig um, at no penalty, you know, go to Arsenal, go somewhere else. Oh. You know, well, we know Pep Guardiola has reportedly a clause in his contract that he will be offered that, the NYCFC job, and then Man City needs a new coach, and maybe Vieira goes up there. It's just maybe. a, res- it's just musical chairs. I, I, so that was the other thing that came up, and I gotta tell, I gotta tell you that was an incredibly unreliable source. Um, I would, I would be really Ruff, don't shocked. take this away from us. This is more fun. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's the thing. I don't actually rule out somebody like Pep Guardiola at some point going to MLS, maybe even New York City FC. I really don't know that they're – I'm really skeptical that there's like an actual clause in the contract that says that he has to be given the job. Maybe this, maybe there isn't. I'm not going to take you know, the Ferris Bueller equivalent of like somebody's boyfriend's cousin's brother's sister. You know, Maybe saw like the contract on the fly – you know, and so like that specific clause right there, you know, I, I got to be really dubious about that. So back to Tehran, I, I just don't know that there's like a clear successor in case, um, in case you. things go. Like, I don't know that it would be. I, I really doubt it. Noboa <laughs> in. Start the hashtag. Get it trending. <laughs> no, no. The thing, the thing is, is that I think they're going to basically give him the season to sort of work it out. And that's where, like, you know, the Minnesota United game is, like, a really frustrating game because I think it's, I think if you really watch the game, if you really follow this team, you really just get the sense that the players have checked out on him um, and, and that he he doesn't really have control of the locker room, per se. Um, and I was saying this last season. I mean, you could clearly tell. There's, like, a point – um, if you actually watch like NYCFC play for like an entire game, right? There's clearly a point about 20, I would say about 25 minutes in, maybe 30 minutes in, where you can clearly see the players basically say, F this. And then they start freelancing and try to come up with like a game plan on the fly. Um, and the problem with that is that you can't really do that 
very easily in MLS because there's a great deal of parity. You know, you don't have a situation like, say, Barcelona going up against, say, Leganes in La Liga where, like, you know, if Messi and you know, Suarez and whoever say, you know what, we don't really buy into what Valverde, you know, planned out this week. You know, we're going to do our own thing. All right, fine, great. Um, that's not really like a thing that you can do in MLS, right? Um, and if you do try to do it, odds are it's not really going to go the way in which you think it's going to go. Um, but you can clearly see the players just get really frustrated. Um, and and that to me is just like a real clear signal that Durant just doesn't really have control of the team. Um, and so there's like this sense of drift um, with NYCFC. There really wasn't a, there under Patrick Vieira and, you know, and really wasn't there particularly um, at the beginning of last season when they were just destroying everybody. Um, and it's just really sort of sad to watch because, again, this is just a really talented team. And with like a good coach and good manager, this team should be at the top of the Eastern Conference, just talent-wise. Uh, Rafa, I know we've been talking about Torrent a lot. Um, yeah. One thing, one thing that's interesting to me is whenever, whenever I'm tuning into or planning on tuning into NYCFC, and we get the lineup before the game. Um, they're, they're one of those teams where the lineup graphic comes out and you just ignore it because you don't actually know what you're going to see until the game kicks off and you see where the players actually are setting up. Um, this past week in the first half, it was, uh, a back three. And then at halftime, um, they brought Matriza in and went to a back four. Um, out of all these formations that Dome has put out there, are any of them, one where you look at it and you think that should work if, if, you know, on paper it should work, if not for the other problems. So, so here's the thing. Baseline formation for NYCFC, I think, uh, is a 4-3-3. And you, know, you can look at the lineup card and, and you can look at how the players sort of like line up in the field and that sort of stuff and how they game plan. But for me, the default formation is always going to be like a 4-3-3. That's what Vieira used sort of like kind of what Man City uses a little bit. Um, I'm going to plead a little bit of ignorance there because I just don't really watch a whole lot of Man City. Um, but, you know, for NYCFC, the default formation has always been like a 4-3-3. Um, so the problem for Tarant is he's just like a really maniacal tinkerer. And again, to me, this is really actually indicative of, of insecurity. Um, insecurity in what he's trying to do, insecurity in himself, and that sort of stuff. I think you got to go back and, re- and acknowledge the fact that Toronto has never really been the, the man, the mm. boss man, um, in any real sense. I mean, he, he's managed at like the third and fourth level of Spanish football, which is basically amateur hour. Um, and, and I mean that in the best possible sense. I mean, it's basically like, you know, NPSL, college, you know, obviously the better players, but, you know, like that's the level of which he was the head coach. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing that really struck me listening to him last season, you know, his post-game remarks when he was, you know, sort of like 
uh, talking with folks, you know, particularly at the beginning was just how many times he kept on referencing, you know, being with Pep, being with Pep, you know, how he, how tight him Pep were and that sort of stuff. And like, yo, that's great. That's awesome. I'm glad that you and Pep were boys. Um, <laughs> but, and I actually don't think that he and Pep were actually that very that close, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, Pep's boy really was Villanueva, um, the late coach for, for Barcelona. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. The point being that is that, that just really struck me as, as a very insecure dude who's like in a very different position from the one that he's uh, used to sort of like dealing with. You know, what would Pep do in this situation? What would Pep do in that situation? And I think you know, at a certain point, you just got to be like, yo, screw this, man. What would I do in this situation? <laughs> what would my instinct? No, seriously. Like, you know, inst- right. like, I am the guy now. So what do my instincts, what does my experience across 20, 30, maybe 40 years of being around the game tell me or instruct me to do in this situation or that situation? You know, like, obviously the saying is out there. You know, when you talk about soccer, the ball is round and the game is 90 minutes long, which basically, you know, amounts to the game is incredibly unpredictable. But it's not that unpredictable. Like, we've basically seen, you know, like if you've been around the game for 20-odd years, you've basically seen everything that there is to see. And, like, the crap that you haven't seen is just stuff that you can't plan for, you know? Like, mm. coughing, like you can't plan for coughing up a six goal lead. That's just some shit that happens. Sorry, I don't, I don't know if swearing is allowed. No, you're good. In the podcast. It's fine. You're fine. Um, okay. So, you know, that's just some stuff that you, you get planned for, right? Um, and so the thing that strikes me is just, he's a very insecure guy. And you see this, like, when he had that argument with Christian Arouse, where it was like, you know, I don't know how technical you are. Well, that to me is like, that's a flag right there. Like, when somebody tells me, well, I don't know how technical you are. That's like, well, I don't need to be technical. Just explain it to me like I'm five, you know? And if you're you're sufficiently secure in what you're saying and what you know, then you can explain to me, like I'm a five-year-old, what you're doing as a coach, mm. right? Um, and he's just not capable of doing that, which tells me that he's just fundamentally ill-suited to being, like, the man, you know? And I don't know if, like he figures it out over the course of the season. I suspect he doesn't. I just, there are some people who are, you know, switch it to the NFL side. Um, mm. wait, you know, Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips is a heck of a defensive coordinator, right? He's just fundamentally ill-cast as a head coach and always has been. You know, and you can go through this for every sport, you know, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball or hockey. You know, people who are fantastic assistant coaches who just, when they take that step to the next level to be a head coach, you know, just don't have what it takes, you know, whatever intrinsic or extrinsic factors go into that. Um, you know, it's an incre- it's incredibly difficult being a coach in MLS. And I'll be the first one to say that. Um, but, you know, Torrent really just strikes me as, you know, the sort of like foreign coach for, who's just ill-suited to be a coach in MLS. Um because, you know, you've had those guys in the past that come in from Europe and they're like, well, you know, I can make it work in Switzerland or I can make it work in Holland. You know, I don't know if like Frank DeBoer is one of those guys, for instance. Um, but, you know, I sort of feel bad for the guy. 
uh, switching to some something that's maybe going at least a little better than <laughs> May Torrance uh, coaching travails. Um, sure, my, my, you know, much is made around the league whenever a team starts giving a teenager major minutes, and James Sands has become a uh, pretty much a full time starter for uh, yep. NYCFC, um, yep. and he's played mostly defensive midfield. Sometimes he's having to play kind of a center back role. Um, Tell us a little bit about not just where he's at right now, but maybe his trajectory going forward. I think his trajectory is pretty high. I mean, look, I'm not going to, I've always been full disclosure. I've always been sort of a James Sands skeptic Mm. um, only because he just didn't have the minutes and because he's, he's definitely like a young dude. Right. Um, And when I say like a young dude, like he's literally like a teenager. Right. There was like this one sequence late in the Minnesota United game against NYCFC when he was like going up against, you know, Angel Rodriguez. And Rodriguez just like shoved him aside. Just like, get off me, boy. You know? And it was just like clear that this is a boy going up against men. Right? Mm -hmm. And I sort of like felt bad for him. But, you know, to his credit, Sands just like got right back into it, you know, kept on playing and that sort of stuff. So like he's definitely got to like grow into like his body physically to be like a good defensive midfielder, you know, good defender, full stop, right? Um, But he's just got like a ton of raw skill. Um, And I think that's actually one of the good things that Toronto has done. Um, You know, like I'm bag on Toronto all the time, but like, let's give the guy credit. He's definitely playing, you know, somebody like James Sands who didn't have like a whole lot of minutes going into the season. Um, And he's given him like all the minutes that he needs to have now. Um, So, I think, you know, he's definitely going to be, you know, whether he decides to stick with like NYCFC, you know, make the jump to Europe um, or elsewhere at some point, um, that remains to be seen. I would like for him to stay, you know, to stick with NYCFC for like at least a couple of seasons, just so like he can get that sense of like, you know, full-time playing rhythm, you know, physical development, all that stuff. Um, I don't know that he's going to be like an old-time stud. Um, but he's definitely going to be a very, very, very good player. So it's hard to talk about NYCFC without bringing up Yankee Stadium. And I know this game will be at Audi Field, but... Uh, no, totally. You guys uh, recently played a game where the the turf was actually coming up. The grass was coming up off the ground in a couple of places. that stadium. Yeah. I, how are, how are you feeling? Yeah. Nobody likes it. I mean, like, I, I think at this point, like, like even the diehard people acknowledge that there are issues, right? I mean, like, we, there's, like, certainly a, a section of the fandom that's just, like, ride or die. You know, Yankee Stadium is fantastic because it only takes me, like, five minutes to get to it on the subway, whatever. Um, but I think even now like that section of the fandom is just like, yo, there's some real issues here. Um, and, and like, again, that comes back to the sort of like weird sort of limbo state where, you know, nobody really knows where CFG is at, you know, on this. And, and, and when I say nobody really knows, I mean like nobody really knows. Like CFG is not talking about this. Like Garber has no updates. Nobody knows what's really going on. There's like rumors. Floating stadium. Yeah, like, no, but, like, there's, like, legit rumors that I think now people are just, like, I think, like, I don't want to say, like, making up, but, like, I think people, like, 
just desperately are seizing on anything that they can get their hands on just for any sign of hope that there's going to be a stadium built. Didn't um, somebody, some executives say that they were working on something, there could be an announcement this year. And, yeah, and if I mean, so, like, is that is that real or is that vaporware like the New England Revolution Stadium? I, to me, it's more vaporware. Like, I when it comes to the sort of like stadium thing, I, I'm very much a show me state kind of guy. I'm very much from Missouri on that, you know? <laughs> Good pronunciation like, of Missouri, by the way. <laughs> you know, thank you. But like, I you got to show me. And again, I mean, like I do, let me be very clear. Like my area of expertise is national politics. It's not city politics. Okay. That being said, I know enough people involved in city politics that I would have some sense that you know, the quiet lobbying that there needs to happen for a stadium to be a reality is taking place. And that's not taking place. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, we, we, we lived through yeah, what yeah. happened I mean, here like, and you, I went like, to city know, council like, hearings. You know when some, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, when something's going to happen and like the, and like there's the sort of like section of the fandom that's just like, yo, they can't really like talk about it because everything's got to be like super stealth, super squirrel, stealth ninja. Because like otherwise, like the NIMBYs get like, no, that's not how that works. Like, that's not right. how that works. Like, at some point, like they're gonna have to like, like the way you're gonna the know, NIMBYs will have their say exactly. Like, the way that you know that you know that it's gonna be real is that you're gonna be seeing leaks coming out and like lots of different people talking about this and like not necessarily talking about it like in detail but like talking about this like whether that's happening in queens whether that's happening in in the bronx what have you you know what i'm saying like it's not going to be like an ex nihilo like they're going to have a press conference a boom stadium announcement like that's not how that's going to work you know and and also miami is feeling the same uh same stuff that y'all are Right. No, I mean, like, my general... Look, I I was always of the opinion that if a stadium was going to happen in the near term, the, the most likely location was probably going to be Belmont, you know, where the Cosmos are going to do, like, their spaceship stadium and where the Islanders are, are now setting up. Um, that was probably going to be, like, the most near-term location. Um, the challenge of the Belmont location is, not, is that it's not public transportation friendly by a long shot. Uh, and it's like technically like not really in the city, like it's just barely right. inside the city. And like there, and like unfortunately, and I say that, and I mean this, there is like a huge section of the fandom that's just like got a ton of feelings about the stadium having to be in the city. You know, like if there's the whole thing about like, there's the whole thing about their differentiator initially from the Red Bulls, right, right. But I mean, like at this point, I don't, you know, when you have like a situation where you literally have like the sod coming off the Yankee Stadium, like you're now like in an emergency situation where where this just looks like incredibly minor league, just incredibly, you know, demoralizing. And it's just like, you know, the, the game day experience in Yankee Stadium is not good at all. Um, you know, you you clearly get the sense that NYCFC are just, you know, very sort of like almost unwelcome guests at Yankee stadium. Like 
the Yankees at best tolerate the team um, if they don't actively disdain it. And, and all that comes along with that, you know? Yeah, I remember the reports after year one of NYCFC that the Yankees were like, so what do we have to do to get out of this? Um, yeah, and- no, it's very real. It's very real. And like, and like the Yankees back then were, were not really like contending. Now they're, now they're contending. The, the Yankees are a World Series contender. So like now, you know, like I'm sure that the Sub Rosa conversation is now like, yo, like doors that way. Like, I think it's going to be time for you to, you know, say adios amigos, you know? At which point you become what the five boroughs wanderers and go around to Columbia, go over to. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you say that. I mean, uh, like, like the reality, the, re- the, the reality is that the way that you solve for that is that you share a stadium with the Red Bulls. Right. Like, yeah. And like, that's been my, my are you saying bottom. Hartford is off the table? Oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> but, it, well, but, but for real, like, I think, look, the realistic solution here is that until they figure this sort of thing out with respect to building a stadium in New York city, however difficult that's going to be, right. That you're going to play your games at the Red Bull stadium. Um, and like, yes, I know that there are going to be all kinds of feelings about that. Right. Like the Red Bulls don't want it. Like New York city doesn't want it. Okay. But like at, at this point, you got to do what's best for the league and you got to do what's best for the team. Right. And like, if, Inter and AC Milan can like square away sharing the same stadium. If like all kinds of other teams can do that across all kinds of different other leagues, right? Then surely the Red Bulls and New York City can share, you know, Red Bull Arena for, I don't know, three years, five years, however long it takes. At that point, do we start calling NYCFC the Jets? <laughs> sure. Sure, you can. I mean, like, I'm all for banter. Like, I don't care about the banter. You know, my, you know, my focus has always been, you know, somebody who, who writes about NYCFC, somebody who writes about soccer, you know, full stop, has always been about like watching good soccer in a venue that where soccer is meant to be played and that sort of stuff. And like, well, about um, the Red Bulls and that sort of stuff. Like, I've always, like, to me, watching NYCFC, especially under Patrick Vieira, um, but even under Domi Turan, watching NYCFC play in an actual, like, soccer stadium, as opposed to, like, Yankee Stadium, is just a revelatory experience, you know? Like, you almost really get the, the sense that this is a team that's really meant to be playing in an actual, like, soccer stadium. They're not built for the stadium where they play half their games. They're built for... for- no the other half. Um, And one of those will be this weekend here in DC at Audi field. Um, We always end it. it, It's nice. I I hear there are, there are some other ones that are also nice, but I like Audi field warts and all. Um, We like to end our, our interview segments by asking you to uh, turn your cloak momentarily and, and game plan against the team that you that you support or that you cover. Uh, so, if you were uh, in the home dressing room this weekend at Audi Field, what would you be focusing on against NYCFC? Um, I, you know, it's not even it's not even tactical. 
I would I would urge DC United to play a tough physical game. Um, I would really work hard at um, at frustrating the heck out of um, out of New York City FC. I think the situation here. I go back and I kept on saying that this team is incredibly talented and that sort of stuff. The blocks that this team has or have are psychological in nature. Um, and you're now at the point, you know, you're like five, six, you know, six games into the season where you're now just like questioning everything that you do. And you can like see it. Like, you, you know, one of the things that, that really stood out for me, you know, even watching a really wide open game against Minnesota United is that the players really weren't trusting in each other. Right. So like you saw players like Matriza, um, and ring and, and whomever, they were all hanging on to the ball just a skosh too long. Right. And like, that's the kind of thing that you do as a player when you don't trust the guy that you're playing with. And I don't mean that like in a, in a bad sense, you know, where like the players don't think that the players that they're playing with are, aren't good or aren't bad. It's just, you don't have a sense of rhythm with your fellow players. And so you don't trust them to make the runs that you want them to make so that you can deliver the ball on a platter to them. Right. And so all the players that are moving offensively for NYCFC are holding on to the ball just a little bit too long and they're making, and the runs are just a little bit too long with the ball. And so that keeps them from making the right pass at the right moment and the right delivery at the right moment, you know, in order to create an actually good scoring opportunity. And so the opportunities that they're getting to score with the ball aren't as good as they could be. And so what I would work on is rather than the tactical game plan, because that's going to get tossed. My suspicion is that's going to get tossed aside 20, 30 minutes in, right? So work on frustrating and closing down the passing lanes and forcing the New York City players to hang on to the ball that extra moment, that extra set of moments, because the game is going to like open itself up. You've got a team right now, and, and I know that this sounds like the worst kind of like English soccer commentary, like, you know, oh, the players have got to want it a little bit more. When I played against, <laughs> you know, Shrewsbury North, you know, we just wanted it. We just wanted to have the ball. You just wanted to go at it. You know, um, I know that sounds like the worst of English commentary, but stay with me. You've got a team that's incredibly confident right now in DC United. They know that they're a good team. You know, they know that they've got like a difference maker in Wayne Rooney and so on and so forth. Who can put the team on his back, right? And you've got an incredibly unconfident team in New York City FC who don't know when that first win is going to come, who have had an incredibly difficult time on the road since Dome Toronto took over, who are on, like I said, a seven-game winless streak and who basically gave away a win last weekend on the road against a team that's not really that good in Minnesota United. And so if you go ahead and frustrate the heck out of NYCFC that first 15, 20, 25 minutes, those opportunities are going to come to you if you're DC to score on the counter. And once you take the lead, you're going to see those spirits just drop on the NYCFC side because they're going to be thinking to themselves, here we go again. We got to come back. 
And now we're looking at, you know, potentially, you know, eight games winless and so on and so forth. You know, I'm old enough to remember DC United teams that um, were in that situation. And I'm entirely sympathetic and hope that that's exactly what happens both at the same time. We, we contain multitudes. Yeah. Raf, thanks so much for coming on the show. You've been very generous with your time. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? I, I, I still write at HudsonRiverBlue.com. That's where we go ahead and cover all things New York City FC uh, for SB Nation. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Naboa. And as a Nancy O, B as a boy, O-A. Find us at blackandredunited.com. You can also help us out financially at uh, patreon.com slash filibuster. If you want to follow us on Twitter, do that at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review, um, do various dances at the internet wherever you get your podcasts. I don't... Yeah, I, Adam. I'm not entirely certain how the internet works. Mostly, though, please tell a friend <laughs> about the show. That's the best way to get the word out, and we appreciate it. When you talk about us, we appreciate all the other stuff, too, of course. For Jason and talk Ben, thanking Raf. You're literally stepping... You're, you're really going to step on my <laughs> outro, Ben? Yeah. Really? Outro's boring. You're boring. <laughs> yeah, I am. For Jason, not for Ben... Thanking Raph one more time. I'm Adam, and we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Don't say anything, Ben. I'm not boring. Mouth flaps. <laughs>